want a war? You're gonna get one. We are taking I thought that Boston crowd looked absolutely brutal. The Boston crab looked quite bad as well. <laughs> what did they say? Boston crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that was something else entirely. Um, so that voice I was, was like, so hang on, it's in Winston-Salem. What's going on here? <laughs> no, I've been, I've, been to, uh, I've been to Salem, actually, just uh, just north of uh, north of Boston, where they did the old witch trials. But that's not, that's not the same place, anyway. Um the uh, uh, Boston crab, I thought, looked pretty brutal. Are that you sure you don't full... mean the Boston crowd? <laughs> oh, they were pretty brutal as well. Hey, come on, kiddo, what are you talking about, eh? Is that... No. no. That's Steve uh, McLaren doing his Dutch accent again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Boston... Ba- Boston's like, Get in the car! That's the only two I can say in a Bostonian accent, which is what Martin Sheen yells at, uh, yells at Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Wahlberg in The Departed. Get in the car! Sorry, does my machine play a middle-aged woman? (laughs) (laughs) A Welsh middle-aged woman. (laughs) Just the bloody car, you. (laughs) I'm from Boston. And welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today we are taking a trip back to 1996 for WCW's Fall Brawl pay-per-view. This was, of course, just a few months after Hulk Hogan's infamous heel turn and the formation of one of wrestling's greatest ever gimmicks, the NWO. Talking of gimmicks, we've got Old Yeller, Sam Carey, on the podcast this week. Never knowingly out-exaggerated, he'll be eager to tell you that he thinks this show is either the greatest in history or worst of all time, and still end up giving it a 6 out of 10. Old man, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. I take offence to that, though, because I know that an average show would get a 5. There's only one cretin on this show who uses 6 as the average. That's true. Although I suppose in other walks of life, 6 is the average. I'm all happy with that. Average for some, old man. Average for some. Oh, hello, big dick. I was going the other way, mate. Don't worry. I'm sorry. (laughs) And in the blue corner, we have a man who is very much no gimmicks needed, at least until Ricky Steamboat turns up, at which point he'll turn heel on you faster than you can say Bret Hart never hurt another professional in his career. Tom, (laughs) welcome. Very nice. You managed to get the best and worst of pro wrestling in that that one little segue, mate. That was very nice stuff. 
yeah, thank you for thank you for having me. I don't know why I'm saying thank you for having me. It's just as much just as much my show as it is yours. But come on, England, I'm fucking ready. Not that ready that you could make some sense in your opening salvo, <laughs> but never mind. Who the, who the fuck knows? I, no one cares what I got to say until I start to write gaffer tape anyway. So it's all good. <laughs> That's, that's actually true we've had we've had feedback yeah. to attest to that now we you have to bear with us today listener because we watched this show we've all watched this show a couple of weeks ago fully intending to record this last week uh when we actually recorded uh our aw all out episode it was a new addition to the schedule and so we might have forgotten one or two of the key points not that that is unique to this particular episode but we may have forgotten one or two of the key points when we go through today's show and before we get into our deep dive of full broad 1996 i wanted to quickly remind you all of our social media home you can find us at rwr pod uk on twitter facebook and instagram so um where, 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 well, i guess we should start where we always start which is of course with our expectations going into the show should i start this week because i know tom you said before and you're a little bit worried about being able to remember anything and old man you've made some similar comments as well so i can start with my expectations if that will help go on then, your sex expectations suspect expect no that doesn't work no. right <laughs> oh, it's um, worth a go worth a go i tried i tried yeah so actually i was really quite intrigued by this because we have over the course of this podcast seen a number of wcw shows in the past and we always talk about how we don't know what to expect because of lots of changes but really and truthfully we really should have known what to expect or i felt like we should know what to expect going into this given that this was at the very height of nwo and so i was really looking forward to seeing whether or not i could understand why this was the height of the nwo storyline and wcw as a, as a whole the product was so hot and had become the biggest thing in wrestling thanks to the nwo storyline that i thought oh let's let's see how this works out when it comes to an actual pay-per-view that of course though was balanced by the fact that just five months after the show sold out 1997 takes place which we have found in our second episode ever is the lowest rated show we've ever covered thus far so that was it was a little bit tempered by that but overall i was really intrigued to see can this live up to the hype of what perhaps i would have thought at the time or maybe slightly after this point when i was unable to watch wcw but was aware that it was an incredibly hot product was that when you had your eyes removed for that temporary period and you can watch wcw It it was more just because uh, nobody watched it today, especially in 1996. Nobody that we knew watched it. No, no one watched that shit. (laughs) In America, obviously they were, but in the UK, I I don't even know if it was available to watch in 96. Nitro was on TNT, which we did get, but it was only like if it was on. I know that it wasn't until like 98 when they showed the two hour Nitros when it was Mm. two hour. Like, it, it didn't catch up with real time for a long time. So I don't even know if it was available in 96. So I seem to remember there used to be, maybe on ITV or Channel 4, used to show some some WCW um, TV shows. But it was on, like, a Saturday afternoon or something like that. But I don't, I don't know if they were still at this stage, because I can remember watching it and being very perturbed at seeing Jesse Ventura on commentary mm. at the time and yeah. being very annoyed. So I don't know at what point that kind of stopped. That would have had to stop in about 93, 92, yeah. 93. The only reason I know that is because I would have been watching it if it was still running in 1996. Mm. No doubt yeah. about it. So, um, yeah, I think it was maybe 93 that, that that particular show 
was no longer on ITV. And then later on in the late WCW years, sort of 99 onwards, Channel 5 showed an hour of WCW. Um, it was on Worldwide was on Channel 5 on a seven o'clock on a Friday night, I think it was. And it was just highlights of various different bits and pieces of the shows, the week's shows. <laughs> you could tell that WCW must have been in the fucking shitter if it was on Channel 5. Friday, all the WWE fans are, WWE fans are going, Friday night, Channel 5, Friday night, Channel 5. <laughs> like football fans used to sing about Europa League teams back in the back when, uh, back when the UEFA Cup was on Channel 5. Well, ironically, you now, only course, get one hour, you <laughs> only get one hour. <laughs> Ironically now, of course, WWE's highlights are on Channel 5, or at least they yes. are on, available on my 5 anyway, which mm. I noticed this morning. I had a SmackDown recording, an hour of highlights of SmackDown, but it wasn't the Madison Square Garden one, which was what I was hoping to mm. see. It was the one before that. So uh, I didn't watch it, but there we go. So, Tom, what were your expectations? Um, it's not dissimilar to yours, to be perfectly honest, mate. I, I was I obviously was aware of the timeline of when this happened, and to be honest, actually thinking a sold out didn't come into my into my thinking at all when it came to my expectations for the show. I was just looking forward to seeing what seemed like a reasonably fresh and new NWO before it got completely bloated and over the top and stale. So that was that was it. But as what usually happened on these WCW pay per views, though, is that they always always pretty much had a pretty banging undercard. So. I, I was looking forward to there being some good wrestling matches on there as well. And like I've said before about these kind of pay-per-views, especially these w, WCW ones I haven't seen, even though I haven't seen them before, they're still like a bit of a nostalgic feel to them that I always look forward to look forward to and enjoy. Um, so I'm going to say my expectations were reasonably high, but at the same time, it's still WCW. So it could be either pretty decent or absolutely shit. And it just depends what night you get. I was intrigued to see how they ever got to NWO sold out. That was like, when you mentioned that, I was like, that's bang on because I couldn't understand how anything could be that hot as it was and be that bad. So it must have been great at one point. And I was hoping that it was this. Full brawl, autumn. It's got to be good, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently. It's got to be. Yeah, well, to be honest, I was clinging to anything I had because... We'd had such, like you've mentioned a few times, Tinky, like with the changes in management and that, didn't know what I was going to get at all. And that was kind of what my expectation was, was that it would be somewhere between uh, the, uh, oh, the amazing one that we watched, Spring Stampede 94. Yeah. Yeah, 94 and sold out. And I was hoping that it was going to be closer to Spring Stampede, but not confident in that. Basically, I was expecting it to be shit. But I was hoping for the best. That's all you can really do is yeah, expect, expect it's going to be shit and hope for the best. But unfortunately, mate, it's the hope that kills you. Well, let's see. Or let's does see. it? So we start with um, our commentary team of Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, Dusty Rhodes this uh, this week. We'll probably speak, speak about them as we go through, I'm sure. And they talk a little bit, first of all, about Sting having turned against WCW. Heenan says not to count out the four horsemen who will ride to the rescue of WCW. And then we see the footage where Sting apparently turns on WCW, specifically Lex Luger. I, I love this footage because it happens. So, so Lex Luger runs out and he starts kind of like attacking like a limo or something like that. And then um, Sting gets out and attacks him. And it's all happening in the ring. 
and I enjoyed it because the Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, is stood there in the rain with an umbrella up, and it made me think of Steve McLaren in that qualifier for England <laughs> versus Croatia for two thousand for two thousand eight World Cup. It was it was just that was the literally it's so bad. Isn't it? I see an umbrella, and that's a, a, a weird middle aged man in an umbrella, and that's immediately where my mind went. Let's um, let's just visit that for a minute, right? Because I think this is what I mean. I know it's about football. Let's remove the football context and just talk about the fact that the response to a man perfectly legitimately trying to keep himself out of the rain was so like negative. Uh, yeah. there was just like such a bad vibe about that. What is it that? Just, it just because it looks so weird. Doesn't it? it just looks strange because you don't Our see place. that on, on the football t- touchline. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just a really weird thing. And I, I get it. I wouldn't want to stand there getting getting absolutely drenched. But then he became the Wally with the brolly. It's he? a classic case of someone who, if they had been really successful, it would yeah. have been like, look at that man. What class? He's got an umbrella. Of course he has. Yeah. How clever. Yeah. But because he wasn't, it obviously became the defining thing of his England managerial career. That and that time when he when he managed in um, the Netherlands and started speaking with a, with a Dutch accent. I, I was just about to say he is how you say Wally with the brolly, yes. That's <laughs> when he was getting to be by the English media ahead of a game with Arsenal, wasn't it? Yeah. We are we are how you say underdogs. Well, <laughs> Shadburn, mate. Stop, stop! This blue movement is not ready yet. <laughs> So, yeah, we've got um, Sting apparently having turned on Lex Luger. This has been six days before on Monday Nitro. So they then talk about the main event, which is going to be a War Games match, which is going to feature Team NWO against Team WCW. And it appears that both teams are set to have a mystery fourth partner. Any before you before you knew what happened, any idea what this what this was leading to? No, no, no. I did write down some predictions. From who I thought it was going to be. Okay, cool. And these are genuine as well. So prediction was Sting to be in WCW. He's not turned on them. You'll find out why I thought that later on. And Virgil to be in NWO. <laughs> uh, that, that was genuinely what I thought. Because I thought, they, you know what this match needs? It needs some meat sauce. That's you what I mean. You know this match, match needs? Some extra Sting. <laughs> <laughs> Because I did, I did have a little bit of background knowledge on what was going on in this match, and I've seen some of the footage before. And going into the, going into that, uh, that bit about Lex Luger getting beat down in the rain, just the the rain does add a nice, uh, nice visual to it. Looks a bit more, a bit more sad. Not least he got beaten up, but now he's wet. Well, I think it's, I think because obviously, as you said, old man, it's obviously not going to be this thing that's turned on. WCW, right? So I was like, so I'm watching the footage, going, well, it's obviously not Sting, is it? I mean, it's just obviously not. But I guess the rain kind of helps them to pretend that Lex Luger mm. thinks it is Sting. I want to be like, I want to be really critical and be like, there's no way Lex Luger doesn't know that that's his best mate, not his best mate in front of him. Just because he's got face paint on doesn't mean it's him. You can look at him and know it's not. I can look at him and know it's not. So he must be able to. But I guess if it's raining, you can almost suspend your disbelief long enough to accept it. Well, let's be honest. When we were sold out, 1997. People thought that David Flair was Sting, didn't they? No, that, that would have been Starcade, was it? Slambury, Slambury, uh, 2000. That would have been. What was it? I, he said it, Tinky. But I, when you see people in different surroundings, you know, you might have a different makeup on. You don't know. I see you wearing a t-shirt very rarely, <laughs> but on the odd occasion that you do, and it completely throws me. And you question you wear... whether it's even me or an imposter me. 
exactly you're always wearing a button-up shirt aren't you so whenever you wear a t-shirt i'm just like who's this guy so (laughs) so match number one is diamond dallas page against chavo guerrero jr this you've not introduced him properly it's tom's best friend chavo guerrero Guerrero, oh, I can't ruin it. It's Tom's best friend, Chavo Guerrero. What a lovely guy. Such a nice man. <laughs> so I think, I, I can't remember if we've covered this on the show, but I am missing some context here. Why is he your best friend? So uh, a couple of years ago, well, probably fucking no, ages ago now, me and old man and Ford went to, went to this WrestleCon, which is the place where we saw the Nation of Domination having, the, having that sad burger and a beer and the Weatherspoons. Yeah. Um, and um, I was very much into Lucha Underground at the time. It just it just kind of started. And I watched the first like tennis episodes and Chavo Guerrero was in that. And I bought, or no, tell a lie, someone had bought for me for my birthday, a Chavo Guerrero t-shirt on uh, from Pro Wrestling Tees, which is really cool. And I was like, oh, I'll wear that to the thing. And then I found out he was actually at the um, at the event. So I just went and got, well, I went up, met him and had an autograph. And he looked up and he was like, Oh my God! Someone's wearing my T-shirt, was, and he was—he was wearing the same T-shirt but in a different colorway. And he was like, hey, "That's really cool. Come on!" And I had a photograph. I had a lovely, lovely little chat with him. Just such a nice guy. He's quite short, but honestly, this is when you—this when you forget because you see them in in the context with other with other wrestlers. You don't realize how fucking massive they are. And even though I'm taller than Chavo Guerrero, his arms are like enormous. Because he's so unbelievably ripped, and you don't think of that when you look at him as much, like in outside of you know in in real life. But just a lovely man, Chavito, lovely guy. A lot of time for him. So I felt bad about what happened to him uh, on at Rampage on Friday, beaten up by uh, beaten up by Pac, which felt a bit mean. And then Andrade turned on him. Poor guy. When you were watching him, were you going, were you going ooh, Chavo? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to text him, but then I realised I haven't got his number. So I was just texting <laughs> random people. So you just text a Chav in your phone, and then yeah. he got the message. Oh. <laughs> it's fucking blazing squad shirts on. <laughs> I, I love just blazing squad turn up and you're just wearing a shirt with a massive yellow like circle in the middle like fucking one of those cunts did in a video no no (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck are you talking about i'm not surprised chavo was surprised though because surely like i mean he's a he's fine he's fine but he's not anyone's favorite wrestler is he let's 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 be clear about this no, but I, I always have had a bit of a soft spot for Chavo because he, he's he's always been yeah you're right he, he's he's good again he's one of these people that just seems to we'll talk about this get into the match do you want to do you want to do the, the the end of the match and then we can carry on with this <laughs> just, you could have just carried on Tom anyway I will do the end of the match so it is 13 minutes in length and it ends when DDP reverses a backslide into a diamond gutter to take the pinfall continue thoroughly <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed this match because Chavo Guerrero always puts everything into every match that he goes in I've never I've never seen him put in a bad performance and he always he always gives it some welly as well never seems like he's phoning it in this is an opening match it's a grudge match apparently um between uh DDP and Chavo Guerrero Jr although we don't know why it's a grudge match but we didn't but we know that it is so that's the important thing I, I really enjoyed this match I thought it was great it, it's a, a Chavo Guerrero that isn't hasn't really fully formed he's still quite young i think in the business and this is this is ddp a few months on from when we've seen him last and he's 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 dropped some of his gimmicks where he had too many he's he's getting more comfortable in himself he's getting better in the ring and his characters are more honed so this match i i really really enjoyed there's a great 
great bit at the beginning where DDP gets thrown into the ropes and he gets stuck like in between the top and middle rope and then Chavo Guerrero drops drop kicks in which is quite fun there's a great clothesline from the top rope by DDP which nearly kills poor Chavo there's a bloke in the front row or in the crowd who looks like Nick Frost from his space days an NWO shirt a leather hat and leather fingerless gloves Fuck as well it's a very peculiar look he's gone full and, gimp hasn't he yeah very much so and there's also this bit like I don't know if you guys noticed this but because we got the two rings set up for the war games matches they kind of go back and forth between the rings in various matches but they have, because it's not in the middle where it ordinarily would be, you've got the aisles running up the middle of the rings. And there's people mucking about, yeah. mucking about on the stairs, which I find really annoying straight away. And I know we give WWE a lot of credit for their production values. And this is the sort of thing that wouldn't have happened on a WWE, on a WWE card. They wouldn't have the steps right down the middle and having mm. people muck them out on them. They'd have I mean, people hit- nicking their signs on all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, there was two guys dressed to one is Scott Hall and one is Ric Flair. Yeah. In which I must say I didn't enjoy. The, the Ric Flair robe is pretty spectacular, to be yeah. fair. There's a couple of other little bits in the match that I, that I quite like. There's a bit right where um Chavo Guerrero like pulls himself up and gets onto the top rope for like a springboard crossbody. And it, it just happens to go on for that little bit too long. Like where DDP's just stood there waiting to get cross-bodied. But then DDP does this phenomenal scream <laughs> as, if, as he gets up, as he realises that DDP's about to get him. But I thought it was really good. I thought this match was really fun. It's quite intense at the beginning. According to um, according to Dusty Rhodes, uh, Charo is going to have a laugh, <laughs> he says at one point, which is the first part of, first bit of <sighs> nonsensical Dusty Rhodes dreadful commentary that permeates through this entire show. And it was just really fun. It was really a really fun match. I just I really liked it. It was a fun way to open the card with two people that I quite like as well. I quite like DDP, quite like I love I adore Chavo Guerrero as 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 previously stated. And uh, yeah, a good solid fun match to open the pay-per-view. I'll be honest, we're off to a hot start here. When DDP comes down to the ring, he gives the old fake handshake to a member of the crowd. <laughs> so he goes in and then Lissa runs it through his hair, some I've previously done. Obviously not for a few years now, before you fucking get in there. As you said, Tommy, it's not hot. Chavo is beating the tar out of poor DDP. He's trying to beat one of the D's off his name, I think. <laughs> but uh, Shivone, old Tony, Tinky gave him high praise last week at our All Out 2021 episode. And he comments on why Chavo doesn't care about being DQ'd. And it's because, as you said, Tommy, DDP has been causing havoc for Chavo's family. Just realised the word havoc is within the word Chavo, so... I thought that was a lovely piece of commentary. Oh, it's 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 a it's a anagram. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why he's called Chavo. Maybe the pay-per-view should be called Hall- Halloween Chavo. I got a bit confused in this match. I'll be honest, because they kept referring to the show as War Games. I was like, it's not War Games. It's Full Brawl. And then I realised that it's the subtitle for the pay-per-view. So I got off my high horse. Um, fucking Dusty Rhodes is all over the place. I mean, like, in our all-out episodes, by the end, me and Tommy had a couple of beers, we were still far, far better on commentary than Dusty Rhodes was in this fact. Oh, he's bloody awful. DDP, very good. Bumping all over the place for old Chavo. And I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it a bit. I thought it was too long, to be honest. And I also thought there's this spinning power bomb that DDP does that looks like it 
absolutely kills Havoc Guerrero. But he kicks out, and I was a little bit like, ah, you lost me. I thought like that should have been the end, because I think at 13 minutes, with respect to these lads, probably a bit too long. But it's a decent start, and as much as a bit like Tommy, I like DVP, I like Havoc, but I wasn't expecting much from this, and it exceeded my expectations. Expect it to be shit, and it'll be decent, and you'll be happy. So, like you, old man, I wasn't expecting much from this, and I was very much surprised by it because it was very good. I really liked it. I thought it was really good. I did not expect DDP and Chavo to have much chemistry, to be honest. Mm. They don't look like two guys that should be booked together. They don't feel like two guys that should be booked together. But actually, they really did make the most of this. It was enjoyable. Um, the, the crowd were really into it. There were some, there were, in fact, all through the show, there were quite a lot of cheers for the heels in general. Um, and DDP is the heel in this match. But you compare this performance of Diamond Dallas Page to that um, Bash of the Beach 95 performance that we saw from him. Like you said, Tom, it's just night and day. He's just a different guy by this point. You said he's dropped some of the gimmicks, but he's so much better in the ring as well. So much more dynamic. He's been he's been able to hang with Chavo and Chavo in terms of pace is you would have thought been much faster than because what you don't I think what you forget about DDP is he's actually quite a big guy. He's, mm. he's really quite a big guy, but he still manages to go with him. It's good. I think it's really good. I, I was really, really pleased with this. Uh, to your point, old man, the gut wrench spinning power bomb, as I've called it here, just made up Lovely. a name for it by DDP is excellent. And you're probably right. Should have been should have been the ending. But overall, I'm not going to argue at all with it. It was I found it really, really interesting. And there was one point that, again, we're, we're going to get into that territory of whether or not you're allowed to throw someone over the top rope or not. I don't know if WCW at some point just ignored this for a long time. <laughs> but in this match, DDP throws Chavo from one ring into the other. Mm. And Tony Schiavone kind of half talks about the fact that is that a DQ? Because I guess he's not throwing him out of the ring. He's throwing him into another ring. So should it be a DQ just because he's gone over the top rope into the other Mm. one? But then they move away from it. And we don't really, I don't think, hear about that particular rule for the rest of the night. But overall, very good. They both actually have overdubbed music. So I don't know what Mm. Chavo's music was, but obviously DDP's was originally a ripoff of of Smells Like Teen Spirit. I don't know what Chavo's was that they felt they needed to also dub his music over, but but his was too. Really surprised by this. Really impressed. Really liked it. Yeah, good start. So we get then a little shot of Halloween Havoc. No, that's wrong. <laughs> so we get then a little shot of Harlem Heat on... <laughs> yes, we get a little shot of Harlem Heat on CompuServe talking to fans with... <laughs> <laughs> Sherry Martel and Colonel Robert Parker. This is, of course, back in the day of forums and live chats online. Um, WWE's equivalent was AOL they used to use, I believe. And uh, yeah, they were they're talking to fans. Oh yeah, I need someone who's still got rocking uh, an AOL email address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a lovely snapshot into the past, really, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it. I got sort of to wear. It's just sat in. The, it's so weird, like t- these two massive guys and Sherry, and then. Colonel Parker all just stood around these massive computers. This looks it's quite a, quite an amusing visual. Yeah, because the, the computers are almost as big as Harlem Heat, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, massive. Like those, yeah, those, those fucking computers can go, I reckon. I'll fucking have them. So next up, we get Gene Oakland with a special report subtitled The Attack. Yes. I was going to say, I really like this. This report. Special report. On, special report, yeah. So it's basically showing, like, 
the history of the NWO up until that point. And whilst I imagine if you're watching it weekly at the time, you're probably like, yeah, I know all this. I've seen it. Just for, for me, as someone who's just dipped back into this pay-per-view, this random part of time, it was quite a nice reference point to let me know who had joined because it's basically a plotted history of the NWO. And I thought it was quite good. Also, references my favourite crap, or one of my favourite crap promos ever, which is when when Kevin Nash turns up and he says, so this is where the big boys play, huh? Check the adjective. Play. We ain't here to play. What are you talking about? Is he drunk? That makes no sense and it always makes me chuckle. But I thought it was a really good, I thought it was a really good informative video package. It is something I mean, we have been calling on other shows to do. Mm-hmm. So I think we do need to give it credit. Mm. Yeah. I, there's a lovely little beat running through it as well, which I can't remember what it is. And Gene is on, so we had, um, when we did Bash of the Beach, we had Gene in a polo shirt, oversized, phoning it in. This is, <laughs> peak gene and the highlight is that we get another clip of poor Lex Luger in the rain and this must be from later in the show where he gets beaten because he's getting beaten down in his pants (laughs) in the rain (laughs) I mean that must rank up there with his failed WWE push in terms of the low points of his career I reckon rolling around in the rain in his pants it's a long way from the Lex Express to here, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and it's not that long in time, is it? It's really like three years, <laughs> I guess, three years. So what we see here is May 27th, when Scott Hall turns up on Nitro, through the Bash of the Beach Hogan heel turn and the backstage attacks on WCW wrestlers. We see footage of Nick Patrick helping Scott Hall and Kevin Nash beat Sting and Lex Luger and Hogan winning the world title from the Giant all at the previous pay-per-view. And then we also see uh, Ted DiBiase and the Giant joining the NWO and finally Sting attacking Luger. Some of this stuff was really interesting to me because I what I remember I never saw this at the time. Never saw it at the time. I didn't see much of this stuff or most of this stuff until I think I mentioned it before when we did the Slambury 2000 episode when there was a few episodes of Nitro between the previous regime who were in charge and Bischoff and Russo coming back together where they did a recap episode and I remember seeing those recap episodes on TNT by this time I had cable and um, I had the capability to record one of the two channels as well which was lovely and I can remember seeing that most of this stuff then on that recap episode and I remember thinking I wish I'd been able to see that stuff because it looks amazing. Specifically, the stuff where you've got the NWO attacking Rey Mysterio and a couple of the other cruiserweights in the back and throwing them like a, like mm-hmm. darts against the like the things outside, and then Jimmy Hart come running to the ring to get I think Sting and Ric Flair and Lex Luger are in a match against one another and like asking them to come down and help out because they were getting beaten up by the NWO. And I just thought this just seems so amazing. They're really messing with all the dynamic of wrestling. So I'd seen it, but only kind of retrospectively. And even then I thought this looks really cool. So yeah, I, I was quite, I thought this was quite good this bit. The other bit that I like as well, is it always makes me chuckle whenever I see it, is on the footage of um, uh, uh, Bash of the Beach 96 when Hogan does the turn. After he does it, after he hits the leg drop on Hogan, uh, on uh, on Macho, and maybe does like a little bit of a promo, um, Scott Hall does his kind of like his pose with his like arms out sideways. And Hogan obviously gets like, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. And <laughs> does it as well. And it just looks really weird. It looks really stupid. It's like, this must be an NWO thing before he realizes that it's, I like as well that thing where Hogan gives the double thumbs up to Hall and Nash. And he's like, oh, it's such a bad thing to do. 
And then he shagged a girl that looks suspiciously like his daughter. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> Try and cut that one, Tinky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bother. Right, so we have next up the submission match between Scott Norton and Ice Train, formerly in the tag team Fire and Ice. And they've now they've now split up, of course. I should say Ice Train is accompanied by Teddy Long, a very, very heavy looking Teddy yes. What's, what's happened there? It's really weird. We've seen him before this point. We've seen him after this point. At no point does he show any signs of being a large man. Suddenly, yeah. here, right in the middle, he's massive. He, he's, he's been less, taken to the buffet by Harley Race, hasn't he? <laughs> he? He's less Teddy Long and more Teddy White, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yes, and the end comes when Norton gets hold of Teddy Long, allowing Ice Train to get a full Nelson on him, and Norton taps ignoring the microphone stipulation, which is apparently the <laughs> main crux of this match, where the referee is holding a microphone specifically to hear them give up. Um, old man, your thoughts on this one? Ah, oh, bloody heck. The high point of this is we've got singlet versus singlet. I've written that as a note. This is how much I was looking forward to the match. And then I noticed this in the crowd, a sign that says, women, we, and then a picture of a heart, you. Absolutely lovely. Love for every woman. Teddy Long tries to get an ice chant going from the outside and he shouts ice quite loudly about five times and then realises that no one's getting involved and then just quietly stops. He starts, he's probably like, as they do, banging on the ring. He's like, ice, ice. And then he's like, ice, ice, ice. Uh, and then he walks it off. It's like he's like, I got to move from this spot. I mean, it's as good as Jeff Hardy trying to get his own chant going. <laughs> Go on, Jeff. Um, there's a standing splash from old icy ice train onto Scotty Norts, and he lands on Scotty Norts' knees, and it looks fucking awful. Like it's pretty good. To be fair, old Icy Train lives up to his name. He's about train size, but it looks awful, the actual landing. I, I think he prefixed this show with. We watched this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Apparently there's a Boston Crab in the match, which I, mm, there I is. thought was the finish. And I've just written down that if Rick Martel is locked in, that Boston Crab, Icy would have been tapping like a government meal. And then not pretty stuff. And it wasn't pretty stuff. But what, what, was, what were we expecting? It's Norts and Ice with Teddy Long trying to get a chant going, letting himself down, <laughs> headed back to the buffet. <laughs> to be honest, about as good as I expected. And crucially, not long enough to make me want to kill myself. All <laughs> <laughs> well, the standards we set them these days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is just two big old bollocks crashing against each other in a wrestling <laughs> ring, isn't it? Like, I'll be honest, I, I quite, I quite enjoyed this match, like for for what it was. Like, it wasn't gonna be great. It's fucking Scott Norton. He looks like he's about to burst every time he moves. <laughs> um, but I can categorically say it's the best Scott Norton match I've ever watched. <laughs> you know, um, it's just a, a couple of things in it I, I really quite liked. Lots of uh, lots of askums. 
from all parties involved <laughs> to ask him, ref, ask him. Like you said, Tiggy, coming in with the mic, getting ignored. Like it must be hard work for old Randy Anderson, whoever the fuck was in the ring. He was, poor lad was getting ignored all the time. The uh, Boston Crab looks pretty brutal on ice tree, and I thought it looked really brutal. And also, the full Nelson's horrible that he locks in as well. It looks it looks so painful. Um, And also, just on one footnote, Ice Train's music is phenomenal. It's kind of it's like some funky kind of music, but just with like a steam train horn going on in the background, which I think we can all agree with. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. Tommy, do you reckon you can do the beat and I'll do the train? Uh, yeah, right. um, I can't remember what it went like. It was a while ago. Now. It's... That's fucking that's Diesel's fucking entrance theme. That is, you just did. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so I thought this match was like you, Tom, way better than I thought it was going to be. That's not to say that I thought it was good. <laughs> I thought it was quite messy, and as I said, it wasn't necessarily that they were ignoring him during the match because I can understand if you if you if you think about it, if you don't want to give up, you're like I don't want to spend energy telling you I'm not giving up. I'm just not going to say anything. But it's the fact that at the end, when Scott Norton did finally give up, he just tapped out rather than saying into the microphone, I quit or yes, whatever it was he was supposed to say. There's a bit in this match where Dusty Rhodes struggles to say ventriloquist and <laughs> takes about 20 seconds of the match to get it get it out. Get it out. And uh, that was probably my biggest highlight during the match. <laughs> no, I do them, I'm doing them down because actually there were quite a lot of high points, I thought, in this match some really quite cool power moves it was just really messy and not at all mm. nothing connected any of the spots the spots were quite good as I said, there was a cool belly to back suplex by norton and these are big guys so it looks quite good it looks quite impactful snap suplex by ice train power slam by ice train you know some really big power moves and and they look quite cool but as i said nothing really to link them together and i will continue to say that scott norton might be i think he's the first person that I said was the drizzling shits on yes, this program. Yes, he was, yeah. And I maintain that that is, that is true. So what's strange right, about these power moves, this is a submission match. There was there was no viable reason for these power moves. You've got to work an arm. I'd rather have seen him work a finger. Is it more that WSW made the, the mistake of booking them in a submission match? Yeah. And they no, clearly don't have any submission moves. <laughs> what? A Boston crowd? That is split the crab <laughs> and, uh, and a cracker of a full Nelson. Mm. It's like a it's like a baker's dozen full Nelson. Well, for those that were worried about Dusty Rhodes commentary, um, they might be a little bit more relieved as ahead of the next match, because we have two Mexican individuals wrestling. They bring Mike <laughs> Tanay out to join them for it. Um, Iron Mike Tanay. And Iron Mike tonight, Mike tonight, Iron hey. Mike tonight, <laughs> Mike tonight, Mike tonight, Iron Mike tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he says that Conan, Conan. Conan O'Brien. You're taking the piss. You're taking the piss out of Dusty Rhodes for not being able to say people's names. <laughs> <laughs> Mike tonight, Mike tonight, Conan. <laughs> And here he is, Juventus Guerrero. <laughs> Juventus? Come on, mate. Juventus. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, oh, he that was says... the, first time, the first time we ever heard Juventus' name, because we were like, we had a mate 
um, and we was we we were kind of talking about stuff, and we were like, ah, oh, well, Juventus Juventus Guerrero is apparently really good. And the first time we ever watched wrestling, I think it's the first that one I got cable, yeah. and we I had TNT. You came around to my house and we watched Nitro, and they were like, ah, oh, it's Juventus Guerrero, and we were like, who? Yeah, it's Juventus they're bringing down, not Juventus. Well, it wasn't just Juventus. It was Chris Jericho. It yeah. was <laughs> it was Chris Benoit. It was Chris Benoit. <laughs> oh, Benoit. <laughs> that was classic. So, Mike Tanay says that Conan knows Hoovy like a book. Don't really know <laughs> what that means, to be honest, Mike. Anyway, there we go. So, yes, the next match is Conan versus Juventus Guerrero for the Mexican Heavyweight Championship, which we'll, we'll come to in a minute. Jimmy Hart is in Conan's corner. Um, and he also, Conan, looks like Uncle Paulie from Rocky uh, during his uh, entrance, <laughs> that, yeah. played by um, Burt Young. Uh, it looks just like him. And he's also got the hat and everything. Just looks. Do you reckon that's the first Burt Young shout out in a wrestling podcast? I, I don't know, because Rocky's quite, I think, quite famous for being quite well booked. <laughs> no, that sounds ridiculous. But actually, he's quite well booked in terms of wrestling, the, the stories that take place. Are, would make for really good wrestling stories, I think. And so I think there's probably been some parallels made between the two. I wouldn't be surprised anyway. Mm. Oh, to be honest, mate, we don't know. So well done. Sure, the first ones do it. And then the other cunt that says different is a liar. The end comes when Conan hits a muscle buster to Hoovy, but only gets two, and then finally finishes, finishes him off with about the seventh or eighth powerbomb variation that he does <laughs> during the contest. Uh, Tom, thoughts on this one? So I want to go for a couple of things. I want to talk a little bit about Conan's appearance. Uh, first of all, he is thoroughly embracing the Titus O'Neil rule because he's got about 15 different arm, arm pads on. His, his <laughs> arms are covered, covered in various different padding. And he's also got his vest tucked into his pants. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've got a lot of time. Maybe, maybe think of uh, Richie from Bottom. So, you know, that cheered me up. Also, Nick Patrick keeps his leg in the air when he's doing a count like a dog having a little wee. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, I can't, I can't unsee that now. Then. So this match is fucking stupid. <laughs> it's so daft. It's basically ridiculous power moves from Conan, as you said. Think about eight or nine different variations of a power bomb and Hoven Guerrero, who sells nothing. Like sells 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 the impact, but then just gets up and carries on. It's so daft. There's a bit where, like right at the beginning, where where Conan brutally tosses Hoover out of the ring. <laughs> he absolutely goes flying. Conan then back body drops Hoovy into the other ring and he lands on the rope, which again looks so dangerous and brutal. There's no selling from Hoovy, as I said, and any selling that Conan does is him genuinely looking completely out of puff and knackered. <laughs> it's just a really sloppy match and it's quite messy, but I still kind of enjoyed it, if I'm being honest. And my favourite thing is that the match ends, Tinky, something that you kind of mentioned, is a, uh, a razor's edge off the bottom rope. <laughs> is what, what he actually finishes him with. And I tell you what, that extra like six inches of height from the bottom rope, or, or however long, however much it's a bit more than that, maybe a foot, obviously was enough to just really kill off Hoventude because, mm. my God, the distance to the floor was just unbelievable. But it, was, it was just a bit of a daft match, but I quite enjoyed it, if I'm being honest. And I like I like the fact they they uh, they join, they have Mike Tanay joining on comms. And there's at one point where Dusty Rhodes says, man, you gotta face, you got to face these ramifications. There's <laughs> <laughs> another another uh, lovely Dusty Rhodes uh, another bit of Dusty Rhodes mispronunciation. Which let's be honest, we've all caught that fucking disease tonight, haven't we? <laughs> so do you reckon he meant ramifications or he meant ramekins? <laughs> yeah, both maybe. <laughs> yeah. 
He bloody loves a dip, to be fair. So, why is Coonan got no title belt? Well, this is what I was going to come to next. The Mexican Heavyweight Championship. So, this is... It was a title. It was technically a title. It bloody isn't. The AAA America's Heavyweight Championship was created after a fictional tournament that took place where Conan beat, apparently, the killer to become the first champion. Unbelievable. What, what a clinic that must have been. It was the first championship, and he won it in 1996, February of the same year. He then vacated it literally about three weeks after the show took place. It was continuously uh, refer- referred to by WCW as the Mexican Heavyweight Championship, but he vacated it when he decided to exclusively wrestle for WCW rather than continue to also work for AAA. And then it didn't get revived until 2004 um, when someone called Zang- Sangre Chicana defeated Latin Lover to win the vacant title. And that reign lasted one day and just the title disappeared. So... <laughs> This is the lineage of the title. Conan holds the belt in February 2nd, 1996, holds it for 242 days, vacates it in October of 96, is vacant for eight years, comes out of um, for being vacated for one day in August of 2004 and then disappears again. That's the title lineage. That's lovely. (laughs) I thought he didn't have a title belt because it wasn't a real title, but apparently that genuinely was a title with a belt and everything. And he didn't give the title back to AAA, apparently, until he returned to the company in 2004. Lovely. See, that's why you're bloody good, Tinky. I knew you'd have the answer. Well, I was expecting so much detail. It's a bit boring, to be honest, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when old uh, Juventus is coming down to the ring, he trips over the steps, which I was laughing about hysterically. So I had to pause it for a little bit before I uh, <laughs> regain my uh, regain my composure. Um, there is a lady in the front row who is incredibly concerned for. Juventus at numerous points during this match and he actually he's on the floor in front of her at one point and she's like patting him she's patting him and what I assume is her husband is consoling her she's so concerned about Juventus you'd love to see it you'd just love that care that attention that love for the wrestlers also displayed by Dusty Rhodes who says that uh well Conan O'Brien is chucking around Juventus He's tossed him around like a wet towel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> See, who needs Mike Tenay on commentary when he got stuff like that? Well, to be honest, like Mike Tenay is pretty good, actually, when he comes out. But it's like the other three haven't ever watched any wrestling. So he's like, well, what's this, Mike? What's this, Mike? So they're just fucking punching each other. You know <laughs> yeah, that. It's an, it's an arm drag. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 Conan O'Brien does a pathetic drop kick from the apron to the outside. He looks like how I would do it because he looks terrified doing it, <laughs> which I can completely understand. Uh, and also, um, none of Juventus' moves look good or have any impact or any logic to them. But like Tommy, I just really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's just crap. It's just really crap, but it works. Like, they're beating the tar out of each other. Wow. Conan's mostly beating the tar out of old Juventud. And it seems stupid for Juventud to keep kicking out, to be honest, because he's taken such a beating. But what's not to like? This is for the Mexican heavyweight title. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a prestigious title, so I can't blame Juventud for not giving up. Conan, the stuff I've seen of Conan, mainly in WCW, I always got the impression that he was a little bit lazy, a little bit like couldn't really yeah. be bothered phone 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 in is not even the right word to say just 
just always come into the ring like i'm not really going to do any work you're going to do all the work for me mm-hmm. and that kind of does happen Hooventude does all the work unfortunately Hooventude is very green and therefore doesn't really know how to do anything other than throw himself around the ring and throw himself off the turnbuckles and springboard off the tur- off the ropes <laughs> and basically just fly and throw himself around. This is the definition of flippy shit. This is what it is. Yeah. Like moving to yeah. just jumping all over the place. And he does it relatively unskillfully as well, inexpertly throughout. He obviously got better through his career, but at this point he's definitely still very green. And it shows in this performance. And so between them, they make for strange opponents. And as I say, Conan must powerbomb Hooventude at least eight times during this match in various different ways. And he also does a couple of brutal looking release German suplexes on Mm. Hooventude. But again, to your point, Hooventude doesn't really sell them, isn't really bothered about selling them, (laughs) just gets up and just carries on. Um, (laughs) It's a really messy, really kind of it's one of those matches where if you saw it on an independent show you'd be a bit, a bit like these guys need some more training quite frankly and this is wcw this is a pay-per-view nationalized pay-per-view television show of an elite wrestling organization so you shouldn't really get it on this kind of a show it lasts nearly 14 minutes as well it's fucking long yeah it's really i mean i think partially the reason there's so many bloody power bombs is that they have to carry so much time like <laughs> what do we do uh, we've done all of our moves we need some more moves so they just do another power bomb instead but i guess to your point again i didn't find it dull i mean the three matches we've had so far are so different in style each one mm-hmm. we just had the big old hospital between ice train and scott norton before that we had the really strange mixed styles of ddp and chavo against each other and then you got this which as i say is very inexpertly done but it's still relatively entertaining so i certainly i wouldn't say i give it a thumbs down it's not good but it's not bad it's one of those old man so on the uh starfish rating what are you giving it <laughs> it's a very easy one to pass but it's left a mess behind oh i've had a few of those in my time have i ever so then we get a uh a match between chris jericho and chris benoit um i was surprised by this because didn't know what the matches were beforehand but uh this broke up a little bit when i saw this was on the show it ends when um benoit hits a top rope back suplex on jericho for the win it's just it's about 14 and a half minutes in length Tom. I quite enjoyed this match as well, as as I probably would, because there are two good people. We do watch a lot of fucking Chris Jericho, don't we? We do. <laughs> we do watch a lot. And this isn't this isn't a criticism of him in this match. Again, he's, he, like you said about Hooventude, Jericho's quite in his infancy here, not quite fully in character, but still you can tell he's he's decent enough in the ring. Chris Benoit is like the veteran of the two, still very much channeling his, his, his inner dynamite kid, um, and still has the intensity already at this stage in his career that you we would become synonymous with his matches. His mullet, on the other hand, is fucking disgusting. This absolutely vile little flappy mullet. There's a brutal exchange of chops in there. And it was not long into the match. I, I guess one of those I've said before, don't have too many um, notes. So I must have been watching this match and quite enjoying it because I didn't think to take notes during it. Um, but this note, I can't remember what he said or why or why I've written this. But it's written, Dusty is a fucking dreadful commentator. <laughs> I think because at this point, I'd really had enough. And then, I think, Bobby Heenan says, and let's not forget later on tonight, we got Harlem Heat and the Nasty Boys. And I went, 
Oh no, <laughs> my stomach's <laughs> dropped. There's just a nice little touch in there. So the middle of the match, Benoit is kind of dominating Jericho. But there's a few times where Jericho tries to do a roll-up and every time Benoit just gets up and just stomps on him like he's absolutely yeah. affronted by the sheer audacity of him trying to get one over on him, which I thought was a nice touch. Chris Jericho does a beautiful Tiger suplex with a bridge in this as well. Mm. And overall, it's just a good match. Nothing, nothing massively of importance happens in it, but it didn't need to. It's just a fun, pretty good little match in the middle of the card that I enjoyed. So Jericho comes down, obviously first pay-per-view match ever. They're going to bring out the big guns with the music, aren't they? His music is fucking awful. It is absolutely awful. They beat the shit into each other, especially early on. They are beating the living crap out of each other. And if I didn't know from like reading couple of Jericho's books that they're really good mates I think one of them slept with the other's wife like they're proper going to town and it's just decent like really well no actually decent's not doing it just it's very good I really really enjoyed this because what they do so we watched uh, NXT Fatal 4-Way a couple of weeks ago and there's uh, a squash on there I think there's a couple of little squashes on there and they don't do anything for anyone involved this is I know you need the time to do it so, like, not every show can do this, but this is how you get someone over. And I know it's a, it's Jericho's pay-per-view debut, not debut debut, but it made me want to watch more of him. Made me want to watch more of Benoit. It reminded me how good both of them can be as well. And this is a very young Jericho. It was just really good. And Jericho does an incredible scream before he clotheslines Benoit at some point in the middle of the match. And then it takes a horrendous buckle bollock bump from uh, fucking Benoit. Just, again, not giving a shit because he knows he's his mate. Pushes his feet off of the top turnbuckle in a kind of way that would have probably killed me, to be honest, because I probably would have just fallen forward. But apart from that reckless uh, reckless behaviour, very good, enjoyable stuff. And I must say, in my mind, worth about three and a half out of four here in terms of like match quality. Go on, WCW. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I give two of the matches 0.75 each. (laughs) Fair enough. So, yeah, Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho. Not not a lot to dislike, is there, let's be honest. It was a very decent match, very technically sound, lots of high-impact moves, great little sequence where Jericho does a tombstone, then misses a lion salt, salt, then hits a clothesline, but only gets a two count. Yeah, just some really good stuff here. Yeah, so it's, it's just really good. I really enjoyed it. It's Jericho when he is still quite, he's still, he's still very good in the ring, but his, his lack of experience is really only, I think, evident in the fact that he's relatively bland. He's not charismatic in any way. He's not, it's almost like actually he has decided or somebody else has told him just concentrate on being good in the ring first get then you'll get to the character stuff later on and we can build that and you know when you're comfortable in the ring and you're happy in front of such a big crowd then you can start doing some of that stuff but here he's he's very kind of nondescript he's just a very plain straight straight legs baby face so we don't really get any of the character stuff from jericho which i guess you could argue it is a positive depending on your opinion of jericho One thing I did notice here in the crowd is a number of people who have got themselves foam four horsemen fingers. So there's, yes. it's not just one finger, it's all four. 
Yeah. I think an excellent addition to the uh, finger yeah. stuff. We've discussed this before. I'm all for the Hogan finger, the Austin middle finger. This is a great addition. The heart? No, no, that's not right. That's not on. But the four, the four fingers. Yeah, love that. So that brings us to about the halfway stage in the event. We've got four matches left to go. So why don't we take a short break and then come back in just a moment. Isn't it ironic that the man who has been fined and suspended more than any other wrestler in World Championship Wrestling all of a sudden becomes the savior this evening at Fall Brawl? WCW looks to the macho man Randy Savage. Now you've blamed the Giant for dropping the ball in the past, and your opportunity is next. It's your chance to shift that balance of power away from the New World Order. Stop the music! we got to take the universe and turn it upside down. Let it happen. Isn't it ironic? Yeah, you're right. Couldn't be more right that I, the evil necessity of the WCW, comes to the plate and guaranteed I'm going to hit a grand slam against the giant. Oh, yeah. Been thinking, thinking, thinking. And the only thing that I can think of is to whip the giant and bring it all the way to Halloween Havoc and then take you, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and do what I do best. Rip your black heart out of your chest. Randy Savage, one thing you have to remember, you cannot overlook the Giant. You can't be looking ahead to Halloween Havoc, even though that's your shot at Hulk Hogan and the World's Heavyweight Championship. You might be right about that. You know what? You are right about that. And this moment in time, I'm going to walk down that aisle. And I'm thinking that I'm going to take the Giant and cut him in half. And he may be only 44 feet tall when I'm done with him. But, brother, it's going to be a message to the NWO that the Macho Man and the WCW will not be denied. Here I come. Ooh, yeah! Randy Savage has that opportunity up next when he faces the Giant. Now, let's go to the ring and Dave Penzer. Right then, welcome back. So the next match is for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. It is just under 16 minutes, and it features Rey Mysterio defending against Super Kalo. This one ends when Mysterio hits a West Coast pop, at least that's what we call it now, I don't think he was calling it back then, for a two, then hits another after hopping off both ropes for the win. Old man, what were your thoughts on this one? Puller, puller, puller. That is a genuine line. From Dusty Rhodes during this match. <laughs> I have got literally, I cannot remember the context it's in, but I'll tell you bloody what is hard to argue with because this is fantastic. This is great stuff. You've got Super Callum, never under the cunt, wearing a little mask with a hat evidently <laughs> sewn on, and he's got little sunglasses like sewn in as well. And it's like, this guy's. I don't know, he's come, come as the man from Del Monte, I think, or something like that. <laughs> but then we get into the, like, proper stuff. Like, he does a super drop kick. I miss super drop kick, bloody hell. A missile drop kick from the top rope to the outside to Raymond. 21 years old, Ray Mysterio is at this point. Super Calo, the veteran at 25. He hits this missile drop kick, and it looks like it's going to break poor old Ray in half. But it doesn't, thankfully. A bit like Tommy alluded to with his notes on the match before, I haven't gone much on this because I enjoyed it so much. And it made me want to find a lot of Super Callow stuff. And it did lead me to this week's 
Bye, Randy Saxton of the week. <laughs> so, Super Caro, his non-wrestling name, Rafael Garcia. Classic, lovely Latino name. He's got two brothers. They're also wrestlers. Chris and Alan Stone. Bye, <laughs> Randy Saxton of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't believe me luck when I looked at his Wikipedia page. I was like, Chris and Alan. No, that's got to be a mistake. It's bloody not. Chris and Alan Stone. Yeah. I, actually, I actually know an Alan Stone as well. Yeah. Him. yeah, I think it might be. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I also have a note on Randy Anderson. Oh save God. Super Callow from a nasty fall. But I don't have anything about the fall. But I, <laughs> I did write great tash, great work. Like I said, this is fantastic. This is really, really good stuff. And the fact that Rey Mysterio was this good at 21 is incredible, really. And at this point, I was like, let's be honest, it's going to be hard to top. And then I remembered that we've got the Nasty Boys versus Harlem Heat's come. <laughs> Which I think we're all agreeing that we yeah. cannot wait for. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I started the match immediately with the same level of confusion that I think old man had about the sunglasses and hat combo. I was like, oh, he's starting with it on. And it was just the fact that I didn't realise that they were attached to the hat, to the mask, sorry. So the fact that he came down wearing sunglasses over a mask anyway was pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, Super Calo is named Super Calo after a famous Mexican rap group, according to Mike Tenay, who's back. He's joined us again on comms. Yes, he has. Now, I... Um, did a little bit of digging and I found Super Calo's album Sin Miedo so with fear oh hello zero zero miedo so it's a yeah. little, little, little time to the old Luchabers it is fucking awful when they say oh. they're the rap group they sound like do you know what they sound they sound like a Mexican ace of bass <laughs> oh. I'm gonna get me some rap. of that that sounds fantastic what are you talking Sin, about Sin Miedo by Calo honestly it was dreadful so which was a bit disappointing because i was expecting something a bit maybe a bit cool like uh i don't know like like a cypress hill or, or someone like that like that kind of like latino hip-hop no awful did you tell your wife about it and did she tell someone on the phone said oh oh birdie ones here's a little hip-hop no that's <laughs> ace of big song boys come on you I, I know it's an ace of big song <laughs> it's just a rubbish joke <laughs> don't turn around old man it's all right <laughs> yeah go on see the sign open up your eyes <laughs> i've been fucking burned by ace of bass songs this is the lowest point in my life i'm pretty sure like a member one of the members of ace of bass is like a white supremacist or something really? like that. very odd yeah in my initial notes i wrote don't think too much of uh super callow if i'm being honest and then he Won me over as the match went because, like you, like you said, old man, and previous to the previous Lucha ma- uh, match, there's not a whole lot of sense going on in this match. But luckily, that's matched by the commentary because Dusty Rhodes says that he's 36 at one point on commentary, yeah. and I think there's a great. I think it's Bobby Heenan who says Super Calo will have a tough time getting through the airport, which has <laughs> made me laugh because oh. he's got a mask on. Oh, that's right. I was yeah, so just assuming he was being racist again. No, no, no. Like Rey Mysterio, like you said, oh man, amazing how good he is at this stage in his career. And he puts in a hell of a shift. Almost as much as big Randy Anderson, who's sweating through his shirt by the end of the match. Which, again, fair play to the lad. Quite a fun match. I, I'm not as high up on it as you were, old man, I don't think. But I still did still did really enjoy it. And I liked the, the, the double springboard Hurricane Runner. West Coast pop thing for the end of the match, and yeah, I thought it was a good match. 
Yes. Um, interestingly, we have a scale of enjoyment of this match because I didn't much take to this. I just felt like, again, I thought it was too long. I thought that they didn't, the fans were not interested in this match from the get-go. And that then kind of turned into this whole thing just being too long. It was the longest match we'd had so far, and it failed to get the fans' attention even at the beginning of the match. Then I felt like they did some cool stuff, but again, it just felt a little bit random, a little bit thrown out. There not been really any rhyme or reason to anything happening. Just something didn't click for me with this match. And the problem is, of course, we're talking about something we watched two weeks ago, and it is quite difficult yeah. to remember exactly how you remember. But but my memory of the match was feeling a little bit kind of disappointed by it because I was looking forward to a, a tidy lucha match between Mysterio and Super Calo. And I agree with everything you said about Rey Mysterio Jr. He's fantastic. And I also, the comment you said about Dusty saying he's 36, because he, he, he said this when he said Rey Mysterio at the age of 30 won't be able to get out of bed. and Dusty mentioned he was 36 as part of that comment. I was like, you're 51, mate. Fucking sort your life out. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to well, prove? I think it's a joke, but it falls almost as flat as my Ace of Base joke. <laughs> <laughs> Which means us staying in. Lovely old Yeah, job. bloody right it does. Hey, hey, I can know my failures. It fell flat and also was flat whilst you were singing. So, you know, what can oh. Oh, you horrible cunt. Yep, I went there. I went there all the way. So yeah, I just it, for me it just didn't deliver what I was hoping for. The crowd weren't interested, and they I felt bad for them because they were doing they were doing some great aerials and putting their kind of you know, bodies on the line to do them, but the fans weren't responding, and I don't know why because it's not like they don't like high flying moves. It, you know, we we know that this became quite a staple of WWE television, but for some reason it just didn't land with them in this match. I think the problem is, is that that poor lady that was so worried about Juventus, her concern for him had probably filtered through the rest of the audience and they just couldn't handle it. This whole Boston crowd were enjoying it. <laughs> I, th- I guess maybe that match, though, in all seriousness, did have an impact on this because I thought that what we were going to get here was a professional version of what we saw between Conan and Juventus <laughs> Guerrera. And it didn't quite land that way i still felt it was a little bit messy in places well, they, they got a combined age of 46 <laughs> that's true not as yeah. old as dusty roads <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah not as up on this as, as you two were then we come to match number six it is for the wsw world tag team championship tom i know in particular you were looking forward to this one it's harlem heat who are accompanied by sister sherry and colonel robert parker against the Nasty Boys. And this, of course, is the second time we've seen these two tag teams on separate sides yeah. of the ring because they were involved in the triple threat match at Bash of the Beach 95 that also included William Regal and Bobby Eaton. We've removed two of the best wrestlers from the equation <laughs> yes. uh, and we've returned <laughs> to the match. It lasts 15 and a half minutes and it ends when Nob hits a splash. But... <laughs> but Nob. Nob. <laughs> But Parker distracts the referee and Sherry hits Nobbs with a cane, allowing Booker T to pin him. Go on, old man, you go first this time. 15 minutes. <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs> but it's as good as you could ask for a 15-minute Nasty Boys match. Because, as you'd expect, they're just wailing on Harlem Heat. They're just whacking them. They don't give a fuck. And then Harlem Heat answer with the same kind of thing. And they just beat the tar into each other. 
And as a fact, it's effectively a series of punches and kicks with a pile driver thrown in before a cane smack that looks absolutely brutal for the finish. And I think that's pretty much it. And this was um, this was quite the come down for me. I know you boys weren't quite as high on the last match as I was, but this was quite the drop off. But also, what else can you expect? Like you said, we've watched these guys go at it in inverted commas at Bash of the Beach. And we know what they're going to do. You know what you're going to get. It wasn't very good. But I got to see Bobby P. So, it's true. five stars. You did get to see Colonel Robert Parker, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was shit, isn't it? Let's be honest, <laughs> this was just shit. I got no got no time for this match. <laughs> or very little notes, very little notes about it, if I'm being honest. The, um, it's just a little bit like, Harlem Heat are clearly the better team, but the Nasty Boys play their kind of part as gross baby faces. Um, Bobby P on the outside does some lovely kind of flustered panicking and has to dab himself down with his handkerchief, which I quite liked. Um, but other than that, I've got nothing on this match. It was just shit. Well, you nasty boys. You started by saying you've got no time for this match, and in fairness, you'd already spent 15 and a half minutes on it by watching it. So yeah. no wonder you've got no time for it. What, what time I had has been wasted. Exactly. Um, I I think we probably all watch this, and I count myself on this with a with a harsh eye because of where it's positioned for me a 15 and a half minute match between Harlem Heat and Nasty Boys you better put this up near the front to be honest to keep my interest because after five matches a couple of which we've already suggested have been a bit long and we've also just had three matches that all have gone more than 13 minutes then to have it hit us with this you're asking a lot from your audience in my opinion putting this yeah. on next i think we might have been served having the next match next and having a little break if, if you have to put the tag team match on this late and so i think what they did was actually all right it's just by this point i was flagging i was a little bit i needed just i just needed something a little bit short and sharp just to a palate yeah. cleanser to get me over some of the the longer matches you've just had and I, I just wasn't really paying it as much attention as i should have been my eyes were glazing over a little bit and i was just like oh come on just make it stop i, I also before this match started i realized that there had been kind of no break between any of the mm. matches there hadn't been any promos there hadn't been anything and it just felt a little bit relentless at this point and i was a bit like fucking all these matches are these are coming and coming aren't they <laughs> just, just no no stopping which ultimately does happen now at some point as we'll, i'm sure we'll discuss but there's a lot of just match 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 and it, at this point i was definitely feeling a bit like fucking all lads yeah Just give me a backstage interview and they're long matches and in the case of the last two they're title matches so you feel like there's something riding on them and they're supposed to be matches you're supposed to be invested in and be interested in and the previous one was benoit jericho which is a tight technical clinic type match so you're kind of again you feel like you you've got to concentrate it's not an all-out fun piece of stuff and it just felt a little bit like we, we you're right relentless is the word just come on give us something break this up a little bit you know give us a rest give us a palate cleanser just just give us something that means that we're not just full on for like an hour basically we just yeah. match after match just give us a nice shot of lemon juice so <laughs> we next get before uh, before mike tenay does an interview with randy savage we get rick flair doing a promo for a full brawl t-shirt now there are two things about this the first one was that i don't really think that this is the right thing to use rick flair for because <laughs> 
it doesn't really lend itself to the kind of you know the, the cool the the stylish guy that he's supposed to be by uh advertising a t-shirt and secondly who the fuck is ordering this like i get it if you're there and you want a nice momentum of being at the yeah. show you might pick it up but who was actually ordering this having not been at the show i would order it now <laughs> but not then so rick flair says come and get one of these great t-shirts <laughs> and he doesn't believe it you can <laughs> with a t in my eye he's not you you he know must... he's never in the minute this advert was over he took that t-shirt off and oh, threw it down it's like i'm never fucking here. wearing that again you know, I bet you the amount he cries, the amount he must have to change t-shirts is unbelievable. Soaked in tears on Rick's t-shirts. So you're suggesting actually that Flair did everything he could to get extra t-shirts and would have gladly taken this with him. I think so. And then he would have probably got divorced several times afterwards. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking kick it. Go on, stick it to him, Tommy. Go on. Can we, can we talk about the next promo, please? Yes, so Mike Tanay interviews Randy Savage, and he says he's going to hit a grand slam against the Giant in his match with him tonight. So Tanay says that it is ironic that the most uh, fined and suspended wrestler in WCW, i.e. Randy Savage, is the man WCW's fans have turned to in their hour of need. It's also notable that at the beginning of the interview, Macho goes, cut the music, when there's no music playing. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Yeah, it's excuse me. Is there any music playing? No, we'll cut it anyway. <laughs> That's all I had. So when you wanted to move on really quickly from the Ric Flair stuff, that was the reason. <laughs> yes, yeah, amazing. What a moment. What a time to be alive. <laughs> I mean, this promo is predictably relaxed and lacking in, <laughs> lacking in intensity. Good old Savage. Well, he is up next as well in his match with the Giant. This is a semi-main event, in fact. It's a match that goes for just under eight minutes. It ends when, after Randy Savage hits an elbow drop, Hulk Hogan comes out and Savage chases him back towards the entranceway. As Giant distracts Nick Patrick, Hogan, Hall and Nash then emerge from the curtain and attack Savage. They then dump him back in the ring. Giant manages to pin him. Old man, thoughts on this one? Uh, the, the giant's Tarzan garb is so tight. It's uncomfortably tight. You can see it all. You can see all of the big show. Um, you can see all of the Isle of Wight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's a pretty decent effort, to be fair. It's eight minutes. I mean, Savage could have got a passable match out of anyone, and a little green giant ain't going to stop that. Because, oh, poor Wigger. He ain't really got a clue, I don't think, to be honest. You could kind of see it in him as well. He's just kind of, I don't really know what to do. Um, my one gripe with the match would be the the giant, seven foot nine, seven hundred and three pounds or whatever he's billed as. Um, he needs three people to come down and distract Macho Man to beat him. I was a little bit like it's not making him look the strongest, but that aside, I thought this was all right. This was about as good as I would have expected. I was very supply, su- surprised surprised that Savage slams the giant. Mm. But the crowd, I mean, you said they were a little bit asleep in the last match. Uh, sorry, in the, uh, in the uh, Rey Mysterio match. They fucking liven up for this because they go nuts when he slams him. A decent effort. They work hard, these lads. Macho Man predictably trying to get the best match on the card out of a bag of spuds, basically. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. It was all right. This was the perfect length as well. Not 
long enough to outstay its welcome. It did make me go, God, when this is gonna, when's this going to bloody finish? No, I don't want any more. Why are they, why? If this had been 15 minutes, oh. This was the perfect length and not long enough to outstay its welcome. Unlike <laughs> the giant stuff that we've already seen, apparently. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know what to do with this, lads. I, I, I was like, I just got a bit sad watching this. I'm being honest. I, I love Randy Savage, and it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted from it. If I'm being honest, again, there's not really much you can do against the big shit or the giant, as you said, in in such an you know in such a green version of giant, a jolly green giant. He needs to fucking stick to selling sweet corn. This prick. Um, <laughs> He's selling one corn on a cob, mate. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> He's certainly smuggling it anyway. <laughs> um. The gives the show how uh, green the joint is because he's about halfway down the aisle before his music starts. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a bit which has happened in another WCW pay-per-view that we watched where the crowd all of a sudden start looking in one direction as if there's yeah. something going on off camera, which then the commentators bizarrely acknowledge. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was really strange. So maybe they didn't know where Hogan was going to be coming from for this for his run in perhaps but it just seems very odd like you said old man savage slamming the giant is unusual and and it looks pretty impressive if i'm but there's nothing else i really got to say it's just that it wasn't uh, no no <laughs> it started so it started so well and i know i've got a war games match coming up which is not going to make any sense so i'm, I'm starting to I, I was kind of riding high like old man said earlier i was five for five and then the nasty boys happened <laughs> and then yeah it kind of drained my enthusiasm for it if i'm being honest yeah i didn't i thought this was okay but you're right what can you do it's randy savage and the giant it's randy savage not at his best anymore if i'm if we're if we're honest with ourselves and it's the giant who is still very green has only been a wrestler for a year by this point i believe i'm pretty certain his debut came in this very pay-per-view the year before his pro debut as well not his debut in wcw his pro wrestling debut um i believe he won his the won the world title on his debut in pro wrestling. Yeah. It was insane. So, yeah, we're talking about um, just not a great combination. I think the booking is a thing that I find bizarre because to your point, old man, yeah, you're right. The Giant obviously looks particularly weak having needing the help of three other men to beat Savage. But at the same time, we find out during this match and in the promo prior to it that Savage is challenging Hogan for the world title at the next pay-per-view in yeah. on Halloween Havoc. So you also need to build, build him up and he loses the match. So there's all kinds of weird stuff. It's, it's one of those matches where you feel like maybe you shouldn't have booked it because you don't have a way of making this work out for either man. Yeah. There's no there's no good way of finishing this match in terms of making someone look good out of it. So just don't do it. And it's not like anyone was particularly excited by it. I mean, obviously, the reason it's happened here is the Giant has only just recently joined the NWO. But... Yeah, I just think um, maybe just don't have the match at all, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> um, it was OK. It, well, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't. It wasn't really the thing to get me going again after the Harley no. Nasty Boys match that we just seen. After this, there's an advert for, for Halloween Havoc 1996, which, as I said, we're going to see is going to see Randy Savage um, challenge Hulk Hogan for the world title. Got a little note here, which is. Not as good as 1992's advert for the for the same event. <laughs> no, but it did make me want to watch it. If I'm being honest, I mm-hmm. thought it looked. I was quite up for it. And also, just a bit of a sidebar. I went to uh, on Saturday. I went to a chicken wing festival here in Bristol called Wing Fest, and I was reminded of uh, the, that Halloween Havoc promo 
because they had a couple of big wheels that you could spin and win prizes. So what did I do? I was in a queue for some jerk chicken wings, and I saw it, and I was like, in my head, I could just hear, spin the wheel, make the deal, spin the wheel, make the deal. And it helped like I was dressed up like Sting. So I uh, <laughs> I walked over, and I, I spanned the wheel, and I made the deal, and I won nothing. And it was a waste Aww. of a fiver. So it's disappointing. But in my mind... I was there. Jake Roberts was over there in the corner being all seedy, being like, eh. there's a little person <laughs> over there doing minding his own business. And I was like, here we go. Come on, spin the wheel, make the deal. Done. It's not worth it, to be honest. And no lasers came out of my eyes. It's oh, very that's... disappointing. That festival has missed a trick if they haven't got Bob Backlund handing out chicken wings to everyone. <laughs> That'd be amazing. They didn't, unfortunately. Uh, rubbish. So, another little note on this promo video. The only, I can't remember it. The only note I've got is Savage dancing in front of some mannequins. No, I can't remember. No, no I can't remember either. I, I remember finding it quite confusing. Sounds it. Definitely sounds it. Yeah. Next up, we get Mike Tanay interviewing Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and Lex Luger ahead of the main event. They He asks who is replacing Sting in their team. Flair cuts a promo but doesn't answer the question. They say they're going to beat the NWO and the four horsemen will sort it out. Sting then arrives with his back to the camera, protesting <laughs> that it wasn't him who attacked on Monday night, Tro. Um, Luger says he doesn't believe Sting. He says he looked into his eyes and saw that it was him. Well, you're a fucking idiot then, aren't you, Lex Luger? Because <laughs> it definitely wasn't him. We know that now obviously and we knew it then anyway and this is the bit that really annoyed me about the whole thing because i was like as i said earlier on i can give them a pass if luger's i can't really see him very well it's in the rain it's in the dark fine but he says he looked into his eyes stupid uh, so the thing that you, you didn't mention is that right for our cause mike tenay gene at the beginning <laughs> he was let me tell you gene and mike tenay's like oh it's mike <laughs> <laughs> But what I like about it is that Sting turns, like you said, Sting turns up back to the camera the entire time. And then Luger goes, I've been waiting six days for this. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, it's a shame he didn't pause. But yeah. I've been waiting six days for this. <laughs> <laughs> it just really stands out. And then, fuck me. I mean, Sting's acting is so awful, isn't it? So dreadful. Oh, terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible promo. Absolute yeah, rubbish. That was four terribles in case you were Yeah, yeah it's so shit. Uh, the, the only note I've got, it, you've covered it. I mean, just before this promo starts, you get the pyro for the War Games cage. Mm. What an entrance. What an It's like, like The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And also in that promo, Nancy Benoit's there, or Nancy Sullivan, as she might have been at this point. Her tan is unreal. Tansy Sullivan. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, also on that on the pyro with the war games cage coming down, the music sounds very similar to the music that is in the running man when um all of the kind of the, the cheerleader girls are kind of dancing in the stage and, oh, yeah. and uh, the, the voiceover goes doing it. So I then watched the running man shortly afterwards oh. and had a lovely time. <laughs> and do you know what? That made watching this and doing this all worth it. Well, fair enough. Can't say fair enough. I enjoyed the drive anyway, but that especially was amazing. So Michael Buffer then does his introductions. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off, Michael Buffer. Just 
describes the uh, the result, the rules of the match, and we then have our War Games match. It's the NWO against the WCW. And the um, as we said, we know that it's going to be Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash, and we also know it's going to be Lex Luger, Rick, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson. But we don't know who the fourth participant is for each team. Now, I'm going to do like we did the last time we had a War Games match. I'm going to go through this match entrance by entrance. We don't have to spend an awful long time on each one, just just in case there's any little comments we have as we go through, because I find it the easiest way to do these matches. So the match begins with Scott Hall and Aaron Anderson and the heat between the two. And as the, the fans are going mad for this, as Aaron Anderson takes over on Scott Hall, we've got Anderson going to work on Hall's knee. We've got him hitting a spine buster for the crowd really popping. DiBiossi is at ringside because he's come out with Scott Hall as well, it should be noted. And then uh, towards the end of this first period, Tony Schiavone announces that the NWO have won the coin toss, as if anyone else had any idea that the Four Horsemen might win the coin toss. <laughs> yeah, I know. Shock. Oh, no, the heels. <laughs> the heels win the coin toss. Yes. Any thoughts on this bit? No. Um, the only thing I have, and I thought Tommy was going to mention this when he was talking about the uh, the two rings in the first match, there's a terrifying gap between the rings that must be about foot width that I'd noticed early on in the show and they don't fill the gap. They don't fill the gap. <laughs> oh man, obviously this is an audio podcast, you won't realise this, but he genuinely looks terror terror. Terrified. I'm not a tell tell what, not quite as terrifying as I would have been if I were Kevin Nash walking out to the I've put lukewarm reaction, but it's like everyone's just left the arena when he comes down. People are just like, oh. Yes. Kevin Nash is entrant number three, and he makes the man advantage count. The outsiders double-team Anderson, throwing him into the cage. The, the thing is as well, the, the, the thing that's frustrating about this, so you know exactly what order everyone's going to come out in. Mm-hmm. You? Because they've got the two special things. You know that Flair and Hogan are going to be the last of the named participants. And when you start off with Scott Hall, and let's be honest, you ain't having Kevin Nash in for the in the whole of the match. You know, you can telegraph exactly who's coming out. And when your next two people coming out are Kevin Nash and Lex Luger, you know, you're, you're like, oh, God, <laughs> what have I done to deserve this? Well, Lex Luger in particular comes out early to give you just a little bit more yeah. time. of pathetic. Uh, yeah, he starts walking down with about 30 seconds to go and he reaches the ring with about 15 seconds left before he's yeah. supposed to enter. He walks into the ring. He comes in, um, comes in like a house of fire, fire, clotheslines Hall and Nash to the fans' delight. Um, but the NWO have the upper hand again ahead of the next entrant, who is Hulk Hogan. So the one thing I will say about this, Matt, this bit is that the crowd fucking love it when Arn yeah. and Luger double team Hogan at one point and the crowd are really going hot for it. And... Turning the table slightly, when the NWO do eventually get their advantage, they do a great job. And I don't know if it's just the commentary or if it's the way they 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 had they attacked people or the chaotic nature of the NWO's kind of like group attacks on people. It really does feel like they're a gang, and, it's, and it, yeah. that is it's presented quite well. But again, it's not my favourite version of Hulk Hogan, if we're being honest. <laughs> you prefer so, him when he was in the Powers of Pain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I preferred him in Rocky Three. The um yeah, just so the fans go crazy when Anderson and Luger attack Hogan. Uh, Nash saves him and the NWO take control again. Fans then chant very audibly, We want Flair. And Flair is clearly being positioned in the role of the bad guy turned good to save WCW. He is entrant number six. He comes in styling and profiling, 
stands in the other ring and makes the NWO come to him, which the commentators make clear is a very good strategy as he doesn't need to jump in there with all three of them. Gives himself and his teammates a little breather. Flair has a pair of brass knuckles, although they're white, so I'm assuming they're just plastic, um, and hits all three um, of the NWO members. And Team WCW have control as Flair has Hogan in the figure four. I like the bit when, uh, when Flair doesn't doesn't go straight into the fray. Don't see it very often. Quite liked it. Might not necessarily make all the sense in the entire world, but it just meant that it the same thing didn't happen. New person comes in, legs it into the straight, gets straight into the fight. I'd quite like that. I thought it was just a nice little change of pace for what we've seen so far. Flair does go full Luger though and comes down early as well. And by this point, I'm so how oh, they keep getting this wrong? How? How? Well, in the in the case of Flair, I don't know if they got it wrong. I wonder if they tried to, well, maybe they did get it wrong, but I gave them a pass in the sense that it was them going, you know what, like, we're getting beaten the crap out of here. We need, I need to get down there and help them out. What I liked about this was, that first of all, the fans are going mad for Flair. They really are behind yeah. him. And I like that because this is surely what it's all about. This is the NWO, an invading force in WCW. And so even though you have all the, all the time hated Flair, or at least he's been the heel for nearly his entire career, no one's going to question his kind of loyalty to WCW. And so him being the big fan favorite makes a lot of sense in this context. And then I like the fact that when he got in the ring, he was the smart heel, dirtiest player in the game, even then, because obviously he gets in, he's got the, the knuckles, whatever you want to call them. And he's he's using those things to advantage. So I liked all that stuff. I thought it worked really well for me. I thought it was a really good little bit of the match. This. Let's be honest, it's the high point. So entrance number seven is the, is Sting, apparently. Sting comes in, does all of the typical things that Sting does, including his moves and his old man. <laughs> Indeed. And the NWO have and the NWO and the NWO have control of the match. That is until we get another Sting. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so sting comes in the real sting now comes in and takes everyone out basically the nwo are down he's destroyed them all sting then asks luger if that's good enough and then walks out on the match and the rest of the team and they are mugged by the nwo what an utter cunt sting is yeah <laughs> he walks and he walks off giving it the old fuck off like mick mccarthy did to the ipswich fans when he was their manager and they scored and won a last minute game and turned around and told his fans to fuck off you're supposed to be a baby face do you know what I mean come down make the save show them show them that you're the bigger person and that they should have believed you all along and now they can finally trust them don't go down there beat everyone up temporarily whilst you've got the energy and then fuck off and leave your mates to get the shit kicked out of them dickhead I don't agree. I love this. I love the fact that they did this. And I, I, at this point, like, I don't think this is an incredible match and we obviously haven't got to the end of it yet. But at this point, I'm thinking I can entirely understand why this NWO thing is really hot because the fans are going mad for it. We've just had the really interesting stuff with Ric Flair. WCW look like they're in trouble. Then they find they've got effectively the antidote to, to NWO and it's Sting. Sting's come in, beating the crap out of them, effectively beating them on his own. And then he's walked out because he doesn't think the others trust him. And he's now no longer willing to trust them as a consequence. And they set up this great what is Sting all about character. This is now obviously then leads on to what we get from Sting for the next year, which is him in the rafters, effectively a loner, turns him into the crow Sting as well. I think this and, and even just watching it in the context of the show, I'm like, 
there's all kinds of questions I've got. Like, I love the role reversal for Ric Flair. I love that we've got this suddenly this darker sting who is distrustful of everyone. And we've got this invading force of the NWO. And I can really see at this point why people would be invested and excited by this WCW product. And what really stood out as being different to me about this compared with Sold Out is that we have got we we've got the distinction that the NWO guys are just in the main event or in the two big biggest matches of the night. And underneath it's just like a normal promotion. So you get that nice kind of contrast between the two. Like here's a functioning wrestling promotion, which just how happens to have this invading force coming in by the time we get to sold out when we watched it because they're all nwo versus wcw matches it just feels like the whole show is about that storyline and therefore you don't get the contrast and it's not as interesting i just didn't like sting i think you share that's that's (laughs) always good thing just like the most things he does um in terms of the um what you said about the 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 kind of like the fact that it's just the two main events have got nwo and the rest of it is 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 different by the fact there aren't any there's no nwo presence in the matches i've watched the old kind of like episodes of nitro the old pay-per-views and stuff like that and what is really tedious is that during the matches that don't have any involvement from the nwo all the fucking commentators talk about is the nwo they're not doing that at this point because it's still it's still obviously the biggest storyline and the hottest storyline in the company and it, and in wrestling at the time but it doesn't feel like it's been overkill yet you know and they're not there there isn't like a like a couple of months down the line that Rey Mysterio versus um, Super Cala match, they'd just be talking about the NWO the entire time through it later on in 97, 98. Yeah, indeed. So, as I said, the NWO are now basically on top again. Kevin Nash gets his leg caught in a camera oh, as he tries to go from one amazing. ring to the other. He's, he this, gets, is, this is the high point of the match, sorry. He gets his leg caught in a camera wire as he tries to go from between the two rings. The imposter sting puts a scorpion deathlock on Luger. And Nick Patrick says that Luger passed out from the pain and therefore the NWO have won the match. What a shit end. I'll be honest, I don't like War Games matches. The the more I see of them, I really don't like them. So we talked about this before. It's a waiting game where there's stuff going on for very little gain that I can see. And such a flat end, so flat. And I think it really, like, this is probably, like you said, the crowd are red hot pretty much for all of this. It's about a 20-minute match. They're red hot. And then that end happens, and it's like someone just pulls a pin out, and they're just like, oh, was that it? Well, the fight continues in the entrance way, but then Randy Savage arrives on the scene. Um, just before we go on to this, this the post my stuff, when are tall fucking people going to realise it's hard to powerboss bomb someone in a war games match, Sid trying to powerbomb Barry Windham in the uh, in the last one that we watched, mm-hmm. and this one, Kevin Nash tries to powerbomb Lex Luger and smashes his feet against the top of the cage and does one of the most dangerous looking powerbombs I've ever seen. <laughs> like, why don't these fuckers realize you can't do a powerbomb if you've got the two guys that are that big in these matches? Learn, listen, stay safe. <laughs> <laughs> so before actually before we go on to the overall. Funny what you said, old man, actually, about the fact that the more you see of the war games, you dislike them. I had always come into these matches with the opinion that I didn't like war games because of the fact things we've said before. The two we've seen on this show, I've actually really enjoyed. I had actually enjoyed this match. I thought it was really decent. Mm. Not amazing. No, it's not like, you know, like a really standout match. But given who's involved as well, like you, Kevin Nash and a fake sting and Lex Luger and, and Hogan when he's. I don't know, 87 or whatever. Like, I thought it was really quite decent. The crowd were really up for it. The heat was there. 
There was just a great emotion in the air. And that emotion for me continues in the post-match. So, as I said, the fight continues and then Randy Savage arrives on the scene. He goes after Hogan. Hogan then backs off and the Giant turns up along with the rest of the NWO and they outnumber Savage. Goodness knows what happened to the other WCW wrestlers, I guess. I guess the idea is they've been beaten up so much that they cannot, can't, they can't respond. There's other cunts in the back. That's true. There is other cunts in the back. And also the commentators don't offer that as That's an true. option either. It's true. So the only person who does come out to try and save Savage is Miss Elizabeth, who arrives and covers him up to stop them, the NWO, from hurting him. Then they spray, spray paint Liz with NWO on her dress. There are then big chants of Hogan sucks. Um, Hogan then grabs a microphone and cuts a promo on Savage and Liz, calls them two pieces of trash and says they made an, uh, an oath until death do us part and courtesy of the NWO they may well get their wish. I don't, do you know what? I didn't actually mind the Hogan promo, but this bit feels so long. It feels like it keeps going and going. And I was kind of thinking, do you know what? I'm ready for this to be wrapped up now. And luckily, it carries on. <laughs> it does for just a little bit longer because the NW then sort of invade the announcer's station. The announcers run off looking worried for, as they're looking worried for Liz and Savage, they also run off. And then the NWO take over and they do some, a little bit of commentary to close the show. So your thoughts on this last little bit? I assume, Tom, you were just like, this is too long. Yeah, it's just too long. Like, the, the beatdown on Savage goes off too long. The, the Miss Elizabeth stuff seems a bit gratuitous and a bit, you know, just not, not particularly comfortable, especially knowing what we kind of know about what happened between their relationship. The, you know what I mean? Like, the I don't know. It just, it just went on for too long. Too long, too boring, too predictable. Like, I don't mind a match ending on a bit of a down note, especially if you've got something this hot and you really want to want them to get their comeuppance. And maybe it's just watching it with hindsight. So it's hard, it's hard to watch this and without kind of knowing what happens later on. But just knowing that this sort of thing now just happens for the next year, it's just a bit like, mm, and it's just like, well, I could do without this. It's just a bit dull. I'm ready for this to end now. Oh, man. I didn't like this coming down, I'll be honest, because I think that's when it goes on too long. The beatdown, completely understand the beatdown. I can also, as much as I said, there's there's other cunts in the back. I can understand people not wanting to come down because it's the NWO. is scary, isn't it? I didn't like this coming down because that then goes on for a, what feels like a long time where she's kind of trying to have to protect him and then they spray paint her. And then, then it all gets a bit funny because the giant barks at Savage like a dog. He goes, <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's a bit weird. But then Hogan starts spitting at people. And it's like, I think this is the problem with these things when it um when they go on so long is that people just start doing things that they probably wouldn't ordinarily do. And I know Hogan's got previous for the spitting, but I don't know whether he would have done it in this segment. It, yeah, it just goes on a bit too long. The stuff with the commentators, Tom pointed this out. I believe it was our sold out episode where there was a clip and uh, it was the start of a nitro. And the NWO were just talking into the announcers' mics, and no one in the crowd can hear anything they're saying. And that was exactly what I thought of here. That was a step too far. But the one person who doesn't think it's a step too far is Bobby Heenan, because he is selling his absolute heart out about how scared he is of these NWO lads. But yeah, too much. Cut this. Cut a couple of minutes off this, and I think it would have been all right. But I think it just goes a bit too long unfortunately i i think i can see that 
I genuinely thought this was really good. I thought this was excellent. And I think the difficulty maybe that Tom in particular you're having is that you're right. This does, you know, this goes on for a long time after Mm. this, this kind of stuff. But actually this kind of angle happens all the time in wrestling now, like literally (laughs) all the time. Not just for yeah. not just for the next year in NWO, but it happens in when the corporation turn up. It happens, you know, every all the time. Even now, all the time, every week on AEW Dynamite, you see something like this. Much less impactful, much less unique, but just happening. It didn't used to happen then. Like it really didn't used to happen. And you can feel the heat and the anger coming from the crowd. I mm. felt like the commentators really convey it as well. Like they're not just scared. They're also angry at the at the NWO. So I just thought it, re- it really felt kind of really real. Like it really did feel mm. real and felt really like everybody was playing their part really well. So I just really liked it. I thought it was quite emotional. I thought I didn't know if this was because I know Elizabeth joins the NWO and I didn't know if this was the bit where she turns on Savage I was half expecting that but when it didn't Mm. it just felt quite sad but in a kind of the kind of way that a a long-running drama of some kind would feel at certain times you would get those moments of sadness that's what this felt like like maybe without knowing what happens in the future maybe this is kind of a pinnacle of them compressing the spring on the NWO Mm. and the next thing is NWO fight back and really start to to you know come back into this and i combined it with the flair thing and him as i said that kind of change of role for him and the sting thing with him kind of also changing the way he acts and as a consequence of the arrival of nwo and his nose being put out of joint and everything and then savage is kind of almost like the lone fighter still going against them and he's now been destroyed but also with the thing in my mind of well he's got a chance to get his revenge at halloween havoc so i'm gonna buy that because i'm desperate to see him get his revenge like i just thought Mm. it was really good i thought it worked really well and i i found it quite emotional watching it so you know look that was just my opinion i thought it was um i thought this was a really cool ending i can understand why maybe it was a couple of minutes too long but i just thought it was really good i think my on the flip side of that if i have to have if i'm gonna have an issue with it is actually more that we know that really this is what happens now, as you said, Tom, for the next year. And so you know that, unfortunately, in the future, it's going to have less impact. And I, I want to take us back to what we spoke about in our episode a couple of weeks ago now, which is the AEW episode. When we watched the tag team match, the Young Bucks did the double knee and took us to that pinnacle of despair because you think it's done. There's nothing left. And then the spring is let go of you compress the spring so much and they let go let it go and he kicks out thanks to ray phoenix kind of pushing the young buck off and it was perfect and i feel like in story world this is the representation of that moment after the double knee you think it's over savage is destroyed sting is not is fallen out with them the other the horsemen couldn't combat the nwo as we hope they could and your hope is that after this point they let go and the do- and WCW start to come back. So in terms of this show, I think it's really well done. I think, as we know later on, they don't quite do it as well mm. as um, they might have done. So let's get our overall thoughts on the show. Our score out of 10, our MVP and our match of the night. Uh, let's start with you, old man. And this is uh, everything that I'd heard about WCW and Tom even mentioned earlier that start in the middle of the card, uh, Good to very good and the top of the card isn't so great. I think for me that hits on this show. But the stuff that I enjoyed, I very much enjoyed. Like my match of the night is Mysterio and Super Calo. And I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. And I think I think so going back to what you were saying about the finish, I think if the finish to the 
uh, War Games match isn't so flat, I think the the, the beatdown probably doesn't grind my gears so much. But I think that flat ending is a real bum note for a main event. That was quite, it was all right. But I think with a better ending, it would have been like, oh, that was all right, actually. I think a sad all right. It would have been like, oh, yeah. But yeah, this is like, this is a decent show, I think. And that's, I'll take that because I didn't know what I was coming into. My MVP was a tough one because it's easy to go for Supercalo because of his style and for Rey Mysterio for being 21 and being that good. But the selling at the end from Bobby Heenan sells his absolute heart out about how scared he is. And he also puts in a heck of a shift on commentary, trying to not get everyone who's listening to Dusty Rhodes to kill themselves. (laughs) And we're all still here. Well done, Bobby. It's hard to disagree with what old man said. I, I, it all, it all went downhill with the nasty boys. For me, <laughs> I was really enjoying it, and then it just really knocked the wind out myself, and I never quite recovered. I, I appreciate everything that you said about the kind of the storyline aspects of and the storytelling of the main event, but at this point, I just couldn't get into it. I, just, I, I was done. Um, so yeah, the first, like, it's a, it's a nine match card, no, eight match card. How many matches are there? Eight. Eight. And I like, I really like, I did enjoy all of the first five matches. None of, none of them, I think, are classics, but I enjoyed them all. So with that in mind, again, similar to old man, well, same as old man scoring, I'm going to give it a six because it was a decent pay-per-view. My match of the night is the opener. I did really enjoy that. I wasn't going to give it to anyone else other than my boy Chavs, was I? <laughs> and my, my MVP of the night, I'm going to give it to big Randy Anderson for two things sweating through his shirt trying to keep up with very mysterio and super Calo, which is tremendous and also during the first match as chavo is about to springboard into the ring he does an absolutely incredible stance which i forgot to mention which i will post on our social media when this episode gets released so i'm giving it to big big randy anderson just gotta like his name as well well what's not to like interestingly given the Contra- contrasting ways that we felt about the show i'm giving it giving it a six two don't i don't get me wrong i don't think the two main matches warranted a huge rating or anything um i did like the war games match but i didn't think it was especially great and obviously before that we got savage versus the giant and i also think that i wasn't as high on some of the undercard matches as you guys mm. were my match of the night is also the opener ddp versus chavo i just thought it was really a real surprise how how good it was and for that reason as well ddp is my MVP of this show. I guess he also gets it for just the improvement that he's made between Bash of the Beach 95 and this show because he really is just a different proposition by this point. There are some, as I said, some fans cheering for him. There were some fans cheering for some heels during parts of the show. We saw Conan get quite a lot of cheers as well during his match. But obviously, we know that in five months' time, he's one of the biggest baby faces in the company. So mm. I think obviously the fans are noticing DDP as someone they want to get behind as well. It's kind of that organic, slow build to becoming a baby face. So, yeah, I, I thought he did a really good job specifically, as I said, in, in contrast to, to the way he was performing back at Bash of the Beach 95. And so, yeah, that's my overall take on it. It was a show that never got past good. It, it had a few very it had some good moments. The Benoit Jericho match, the opener, as I say. And then there's some okay matches. The most of it was okay. I don't think there was anything terrible. Even the matches that were really either messy, like the Juventude Conan match, or just 
kind of we're never going to be good scott norton versus ice trade for example <laughs> were, were passable so I, I i can't really i can't really argue with what we saw in the ring and as i said i thought the end was the storyline aspects of it and the way they'd really gotten to the point where there's all these various things going on amongst them the headlining acts of wsw i found that really engaging and i can imagine well imagine thinking i really want to see what happens next okay so that wraps up the show itself it is time for the game and uh tom is you who are hosting who thinks that i forgot that i was hosting the game before the episode started i think both me and tinky you both be right <laughs> <laughs> so this might be a bit of a tough one but i'm expecting a, a decent showing from some of you lads we i would like you to tell me all of the tag teams that held the wcw tag team championships in the 1990s <laughs> okay now by the way you said you're expecting some good answers from some of us lads how many people do you think on the, the podcast yeah <laughs> this is a tough one i'm not gonna lie, lie lads it was it was a pretty tough one do you know what i will take single wrestlers names so as, as long as they've held the tag you don't need to give me the teams you can just give me a wrestler who you think has held a tag team title but then that tag team's done um no <laughs> so you could old man you could say they, they weren't in the title. You could say Matt Hardy. Tinky would say, could say Jeff Hardy. You'd be wrong, but you could follow that line <laughs> if you wanted to. Okay. Fucking hell, mate! <laughs> How yeah. dare you! <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start with old man. Brian Knox. Uh, that's correct. As one half of the Nasty Boys. <laughs> It'd be silly for me not to go for Jerry Sags, then, wouldn't it? Um, uh, Booker T. Exactly. I think you just need to do tag teams, to be just honest. Just do tag teams. I'm, I'm just dragging this out. That was why I did it. But yes, I'm gonna. I'll take your answer of Harlem Heat, old man. Cool. Um, yeah. Steiner Brothers. Correct. Rick and Scott. DDP and Canyon. I don't think they're on. I think that might have been later if they did. No. Oh, oh man, you you got it. You got the, as part of uh, yeah, I'm gonna let you have this. As part of the Jersey Triad. Yes. DDP, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Chris Canyon. I think that's fair. Um, the Outsiders. Oh. Uh, that's correct. Not forgetting their tremendous TNA run as TNA Tag Team Champions. <laughs> the band. Yeah. Uh, they must have the, the Horsemen. There is no, there is no Horsemen tag teams. Um, so I don't think they. I think that maybe probably Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard probably had it held them in the 80s, but not in the 90s, I'm afraid. So Tinky, you've got to get this. Got to get one team. And you can uh, you can get it. This isn't easy. This is very much a showing our non-watching of WWE at the time. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if we did this for the WWF, I'd be able to name them all in order, I expect. Um, Raven and Perry Saturn. Correct. Slambury 1999. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't a great one, to be honest, lads. What I will do is I'll tell you, there's a couple of stinkers that you, you missed there, though. But I'll, I'll go right there from the beginning. So we've got Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton. Uh, Arn Anderson and Paul Romer. Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham and Kurt Hennig, Bret Hart and Goldberg, tag team champions apparently, uh, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan, Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko, Creative Control, Patrick. That is Ron and Don Harris of Jacob and Eli Blue fame. Oh, those racists that we were yeah, talking about. Yeah, that's earlier. the ones, yeah. Dirty Dick and Bunkhouse Buck. Oh. Um, Doom, I believe we've seen on a pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, Lex Luger the Giant. Here we go. Uh, my my lads, my favourite and yours. Marcus Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. Pretty wonderful. Paul Roma and Paul Orndorff. Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Rick Steiner and Kenny Chaos. 
Ricky Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes, Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas, my my favourite tag team, um, <laughs> Scott Hall and the Giant, Marcus Bagwell and the Patriot. I didn't even know he was in um in WCW, but they were called the Stars and Stripes. Sting and the Giant, Sting and Kevin Nash, Sting and Luger, Terry Gordy and Steve Williams, at the American Males, which is Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, the Enforcers, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. Could you imagine a more boring tag team than that? The Freebirds. <laughs> The Freebirds won it in 1991. The Filthy Animals have also won it, which was Conan and Billy Kibben or Conan and Rey Mysterio. The Hollywood Blondes. Oh, yeah. Missed the Hollywood Blondes. Um, Public Enemy, obviously Johnny Grunge and Rock Rock. And the West Texas Rednecks. Who, let's not forget, had a, uh, a single, I believe, with Jeff Jarrett called Rap His Crap. Oh, yes. yes. I don't think Jeff, it... Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett was involved. It was Kurt Hennig. Kendall, um, yeah, Barry, right. Kendall and Barry Windham and Bobby Duncan Jr. with the West Texas Rednecks. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, he's, from, he's not even from Texas. Well, actually, no, there's a. Kurt Hennig's not from Texas, he's from Minnesota. It's so, why strange. he was in there? It's all a bit yeah. strange. You know what? I actually did have Benoit Malenko, but that was the only other one I had was Benoit Malenko. Oh, luckily, the end of this game was disappointing for you guys as the end of the pay per view was for me. So, I'm living up <laughs> to the theme of the show. <laughs> Yes, a very disappointing one, Tom. Do better next time. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so that just about wraps everything up for us this week. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, thank you. I'd like everyone to forget my horrendous showing in the game. Just concentrate on remembering. Tim Patera. And Tom, <laughs> thank you for your contributions too. I don't know why it still gets me. It's so fucking <laughs> stupid. We will be back again next week. But until then. Take care.